In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. John the Baptist was jailed for objecting to a marriage, King Herod's, to his former brother's wife. That could make an interesting debate. Resolved, marrying one's sister-in-law is morally permissible. John took the negative. It is not morally permissible, basing his argument on his read of Mosaic Law. Debate is on my mind because this afternoon I leave for Summa at Sewanee, where we use debate to teach thoughtful faith to high school students. John's story resembles Sir Thomas More's, the Lord High Chancellor of England, who was jailed for objecting to King Henry VIII's divorce and remarriage to Anne Boleyn. The resemblance is that John and Thomas both took brave stands against royal weddings and were killed for it. Ironically, on our debated question, John and Thomas were opponents. Sir Thomas had taken the affirmative, marrying one's brother-in-law is morally, the wife, one's sister-in-law is morally permissible, basing his argument on his reading of the authority of popes. Henry VIII had married his brother's widow, Catherine of Aragon. The pope had blessed the union. Unfortunately, Henry and Catherine were unable to produce a male heir raising fears on Henry's part that his death might precipitate a civil war in England. With no consensus about his daughter Mary's right to ascend the throne upon his death, that was a legitimate concern, as fans of the Game of Thrones can easily appreciate. So, in our debate, Henry had switched sides, arguing first that his marriage to Catherine was lawful and valid in the eyes of God, and then contending that it wasn't. Henry offered the fact that he and Catherine had failed to generate a prince as evidence, a clear sign of the Almighty's disapproval of their union. The Pope did not accept this argument. The marriage was valid, he judged. And that's what led the Church of England to break with Rome. Parliament passed the Act of Supremacy denying the Pope's authority to make decisions for the Church in England because, according to the King and Parliament, the Church in every nation should be able to make such decisions for itself. After all, it was England's peace that was at stake, not Rome's. Under the new law, English government officials were required to take an oath agreeing to this change. Thomas More, England's highest legal officer and a loyal Catholic, refused. For this, he, like John, was beheaded, literally. Summa was started to stop faith's beheading, metaphorically. Separation of thought from faith is what I mean. For faith, that separation can be fatal, and it almost was to the faith of the man I've been studying this year, Martin Luther King. Dr. King had grown up in a thriving church, Ebenezer Baptist in Atlanta, where his daddy was pastor. He loved church, but King was smart, and he began to worry about how his learning from school squared up with what he heard in church on Sunday morning. 
When he arrived at Morehouse College, at first his doubts intensified. Using an analogy to slavery, he said his mind felt, had felt chained, and now here at Morehouse had come emancipation. He said, my college training, especially the first two years, brought many doubts to my mind. It was then that the shackles of fundamentalism were removed from my body. More and more, I could see a gap between what I had learned in Sunday school and what I was learning in college. My studies had made me skeptical, and I could not see how many of the facts of science could be squared with my religion. Summa was founded on the premise that reason and faith are mutually supportive. Our religion's truth and the facts turned up by science must and can be squared. In my case, that premise was tested through several years of challenging work on a dissertation exploring faith's compatibility with evolution. I came out of that work more confident in faith than when I started. One book or two might upset, upset faith a little, but the full library, with some careful thought, will strengthen it, I found. I am not saying that faith is certain. If it were certain, we wouldn't call it faith. But evidence supporting it is everywhere. Of this, I am certain. Faith in Christ gave rise to a great intellectual tradition that encompasses the facts of modern science, and passes the test of logical coherence while giving meaning and direction to our lives. I started SUMA not to tell students what to think, but to show them how to think, and to invite them to join that great intellectual tradition. Debating leads to clearer thinking, and clearer thinking opens pathways deeper into faith and hope and love. That was my founding claim. That claim is, ironically, debatable, and I ran into a sharp rejoinder to it last winter from a highly credentialed theology professor. This was at a Lilly Foundation gathering of high school theology programs from across the United States. I was there representing SUMA. In a workshop, a professor from Yale told us about a young African-American high school student who was losing faith in God because of her distress with the current state of American society. Her experience had made her skeptical, and she couldn't see how many of the facts of life could be squared with her religion. If God is so powerful and good, why are things so bad in Baltimore? Listening, I thought about a book I'd read titled Theology for a Troubled Believer by Diogenes Allen. According to that book, Education is light in faith's dark places. The problems of evil and injustice, for example, when God seems unresponsive, have been with us for a very long time. Thomas More and John the Baptist faced them. So did Paul, Christ. From Scripture until now, Christians have thought about them. Aquinas, Julian of Norwich, Simon Weil have written about them. To troubled faith, their writings can be helpful. I know this from my own experience. In the workshop, I mentioned that book to the professor, assuming that she would agree. I was wrong. She did not agree with Alan or with me. The tradition that I cited as a help, she regarded as a hindrance. 
Wisdom isn't back there in books, she said. It is here now on the streets and in the troubled students' protest. Protesters are the teachers, and we should sit down, listen, and take notes, she said. So we have a question for debate. Is knowledge gained by education or by protest? I'm going to give an educated answer. Both. I'm thinking of Thomas Aquinas, the learned teacher who relied on protest in his method. For every claim he made, he began his train of thought by considering the objection that that claim would raise. Does God exist? It seems that God does not, he said, considering the problems of evil and injustice in the world. Aquinas knew that he had to face the hardest question, the protest, to begin to make his case. This is Dr. King thinking back to his days at Morehouse College. I had been brought up in the church and I knew about religion, but I wondered whether it could serve as a vehicle to modern thinking, whether religion could be intellectually respectable as well as emotionally satisfying. Within his mind, a protest had risen to his feet, to its feet against his faith. But as with Aquinas, for Martin Luther King, the protest was the beginning rather than the end of exploration. He tells us, this conflict continued until I studied a course in the Bible in which I came to see that behind the legends and myths of the book were many profound truths which one could not escape. Two men, Dr. Benjamin E. Mays, the president of Morehouse College and one of the great influences of my life, and Dr. George Kelsey, a professor of philosophy and religion, made me stop and think. Both were ministers, both deeply religious, and yet both were learned men, aware of all the trends of modern thinking. I could see in their lives the ideal of what I wanted a minister to be. Summa is an invitation to stop and think. Remember, inquire, prepare, speak. That's the process. Dr. King's oldest recorded sermon is about stopping to remember. He titled it, Rediscovering Lost Values. America, he said, has forgotten two very important values, and before we can go for forward, we must go back to find them. The first is belief, he said, that all reality hinges on moral foundations, that this is a moral universe, and that there are moral laws of the universe just as abiding as the physical laws. And the second is trust that all reality is under spiritual control, including the laws of science and the moral arc of history. Both of the values that America had lost according to Dr. King, are found in St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, which we read from just earlier this morning. Listen. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. All reality hinges on moral foundations. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him. Greek is tapanta, all things. It means every cotton-picking thing. 
to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. All reality is under spiritual control. These profound truths are embedded in what looks to us like legend and myth. Paul's understanding of the universe was pre-scientific. He didn't know about the Big Bang, evolutionary science, and quantum physics. Those concepts would be as foreign to him as are the forces that he names to us. His concepts were thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, and elemental spirits of the universe. We don't even know what those mean anymore, except we know exactly what they mean because they mean by those words what we mean by science. Paul knew just as well as we do that internal forces push and pull creation. His point was that these forces are answerable to God. About Ephesians, Marcus Bart, a New Testament scholar, writes, Paul could not know what modern physics, biology, sociology, psychology, anthropology, and cybernetics were to elaborate. The recently coined scientific terminology for describing invisible and visible constants of creation, evolution, change, decay, and destiny was not available to him. But he showed concern for precisely the same fields. He did not despise or exclude the world of creation from his theology. Unshackled, our minds are free to study science and to follow where it leads without concern that it will lead us away from God. There is nowhere science can go that is outside Christ's dominion, any more than Harry Potter on his broomstick could fly, behind the guide, fly beyond the guiding hand of J.K. Rowling. By God's guiding hand, the law of love is written into the fabric of reality. As King put it, this universe has moral foundations. There is something in this universe that justifies Carlisle in saying, no lie can live forever. And there is something in this universe that justifies William Cullen Bryant in saying, truth, crushed to earth, will rise again.